Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Lord, we thank you for your word in all its variety and richness. For those who wrote it, for those who've explained it to us over the centuries, and for our opportunity today to engage with it. And we pray that you will speak to us today, showing yourself to us, helping us to follow you. Amen. I wonder how you feel about books with sad endings. I hate them. <laughs> I always tell my, my children, you know, read really highbrow books and they say, oh, you'd like this one, Mum, and I'm like, does it have a happy ending? And, you know, often they don't and I'm like, just keep it to yourself. So I've, you know, look back, the, the worst books that I've read, these are not bad literary, this is just like, kill me, um, Anna Karenin. Like Anna Karenin, I read it like probably 40 years ago. I still can't bear to reread that book. Um, there's another book, fortunately, we can't remember the title or the author. Uh, it's it about a Japanese guy, a young samurai. This is like in the 20s or 30s or something. And his family pack him up with a suitcase and a, a super samurai suit to go to America to make his fortune and to bring all the money back and to be a great person. It's the story of his life. He, like, works as a cleaner. I'm making this up because so long ago and I could never find the book again. He works as a cleaner and then, you know, whatever. He just barely keeps alive, living in one room, whatever. And he comes home with a suitcase of old newspaper clippings, just probably of Japanese events, right? That's it. And then he dies. And then they send out these little boats. I think this is a Japanese ceremony. And again, I'm remembering for so long ago. And the last words are return, return. And... No, we both can't bear. We, we say, you know that book, and we both, you know, like that. And the, the, the most recent one that I read, and I'm really careful now about Tim Winton, is, um, like, I've read other books by Tim Winton, but I also ask about how they end. The Riders, people who've read The Riders. I won't spoil it for those who have stronger stomachs than me. But again, it's a mysterious kind of ending. Anyway, Bible books are usually ending well, right? Book of Isaiah, you know, all that wonderful return and, you know, everybody coming back and Ezekiel's got the new temple and, you know, the Gospels have the resurrection and, you know, it's usually like you get to Jeremiah and you think, what? But, you know, Book of Mark is in the New Testament just to help us to not throw out the Book of Jeremiah, Book of Mark, you know, apart from the new endings, you know, the old ending and they were terrified and they didn't tell anybody. Yeah, okay, so Book of Jeremiah, slightly better than that. All right, well, it's one of the saddest books, the end of Jeremiah, but one of the most beautiful. What it shows us about God, I mean, everything in the Bible is fantastic about God, but it shows us these marvellous, marvellous things about God in the midst of all this darkness. And I want to look at that today. We see the God of surprises. He, he just, I'm, I'm just so surprised, not, not that it's not, what you'd think God would be like, but just how he behaves and how he shows himself in this part of the book. And the reading, even though it had a lot of names that were very hard to read, um, it was a moderately happy bit from this, the end of the book here. Um, this, it just gets worse and worse after this. Um, so I picked the kind of cheerful bit for you. 
in um, chapter 40, we're in chapter 40, verse 1. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah when he's being taken in chains to Babylon. Like that's not a very happy start, is it? But fortunately, Nebuzaradan and beautiful reading Brian, he comes, he's the chief of the guard and he comes and he says, hey, hey, it's a mistake, friends. Don't take that guy. Nebuchadnezzar has made special instructions. This is in the previous chapter, special instructions not to take this guy in chains, but to let him do whatever he likes. This is special Hebrew phrase that shows that he can just whatever he wants. You know, you can't do anything to him that he doesn't like and he can make a choice. And so you would have noticed that the dramatic reading was fantastic. Thank you. That we didn't hear Jeremiah's voice, not once. We didn't actually hear the Lord directly speaking either. We just heard Nebuzaradan, beautifully done by Larissa, and we heard Gedalia, the governor that I'll come to, um, beautifully done by Wesley. That's it, you know, the narrator and these two um, different voices. And um, the captain of guard, takes Jeremiah and he says, the Lord your God threatened this place with disaster. Now, he's, I don't think we're supposed to use the word channeling in Ridley, so I won't use it, but there's a couple of verses here where he exactly summarises Jeremiah's message. This is the Babylonian captain of the guard, right? Now, we've just had about 40 years of Jeremiah preaching and people are like, no, 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 stupid idea. No, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. And here's the Babylonian captain of the guard and he says, look, your God has been doing this and this and this, and it's exactly what Jeremiah's been telling him for the last 40 years. You know, we, we've got a true believer here, not necessarily that he's saved or anything, but that he really got Jeremiah's message. The Lord you're threatened your place uh, with disaster and he's brought it upon you because of all your sin against the Lord. You didn't obey his voice. That's why this has happened. This is what Jeremiah's been telling him for 40 years. First, that it's going to happen and then that it happened. So um, this is a surprise, right? These are the bad Babylonians, and they're the ones who've grasped the message. It's a bit of a twist. Then the next bit is amazing. If you want to come with me to Babylon, come. Now, we've been thinking that Babylon is a really bad place. You know, it's the centre of iniquity. If you read the book of Revelation, you would never be wanting to go to Babylon, right? But actually, if we read earlier in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 29, uh, the exiles have been taken there as a place of safety. And they're sitting there in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, as I said last week, is stomping all over the Middle East. But Babylon, he doesn't, you don't stomp in your own home uh, unless you hate the people there and then you stomp and rebuild. But that's the safe place. So lots of the Jewish people are safe in Babylon, building and planting and marrying and giving in marriage and all this stuff. And he says, you could come with me and have like the cushy expat life. You could come back to Babylon and, you know, and that, that's attractive, right? And also, earlier in the book, in chapter 24, God said, there are two kinds of figs, good and bad. The good ones, I'm treating the people in Babylon like they're the good figs, and I'm treating the people in Judah like they're the bad figs. There's a lot more to say about that, but this is not on that chapter. So basically, God has designated the Babylon guys as the good figs. And um, Nebuzaradan says, you could go and join the good figs if you want to, or you can just hang out in the land anywhere you like. The whole land is before you. This is what Abraham said to Lot when they were choosing. Now, Lot made a bad choice, um, but it's still kind of ringing a bell from that sense of the whole land being before you. Or he comes up with a second idea. 
you could go and stay with Gedalia, the son of Ahikam, who's been appointed as the governor. Now, this is a good guy. He's been on Jeremiah's side the whole time. His family, all the people mentioned in his name, have been supporters of Jeremiah. So this would be a good choice if you're going to stay in the land because he's been appointed the governor. So the Babylonians like him and we're going to hear that he was very popular with everyone else. So you've got a choice here. And then at the end of verse 5, the captain of the guard gives him allowance of food and a present. Now, this is not a lunchbox and a free CD. The language here is um, what you're supposed to do with it when you free a slave. It's from also earlier in the Bible. And it would be, you know, like a year's food supply, something like that, and a large amount of money. It, it's a really good gift. It's not just like, you know, here's my lapel pin or something or, a, a, you know, a coffee cup from the Babylonian, you know, highlands or something like that. It's fantastic. So he, he gives him this. So Jeremiah's kind of fully equipped. He's not a beggar and lets him go. And then verse 6, the next twist, Jeremiah goes to Gedalia son of Ahikam at Mizpah, and he stays with him among the people left in the land. Now, I just told you that the good figs are in Babylon. God says, I like those people in Babylon, but the other ones I'm going to judge. There's swords and pestilence and starvation lined up for them. But Jeremiah chooses to stay with the people in the land, seemingly the ones who are under the, you know, the condemnation. That's interesting, isn't it? And what is so interesting to me, like I've been thinking what a lovely person Jeremiah was, how lovely. But then I realised this is God. This is God who doesn't say, well, they're the good guys, I'm with them, but those bad guys, I don't care. He goes, it's like Jesus going and seeking and saving the lost. This is what we're looking at here. God says, okay, I've got some people kind of hanging out in Babylon. They're all right for now. But what about those other people that didn't get carried off to the safe place that could be killed and everything? I'm interested in them. And the rest of the book of Jeremiah is about these guys, the lost sheep of Israel, basically, who are left and what, what happens with them. So this, this one verse that Jeremiah chooses to go with them, we could just stop there and like fall in our faces and cry and, you know, but I'll go on because there's more, there's more. But how amazing already, um, the, this just amazing God um, choosing to be with his you know, these are the duds, these people. These are the rejects, and he's chosen to be with them, the people who rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. All right, verse 7. The leaders of the forces and the troops who were out in the field, so not everybody was in Jerusalem that got carried off. These are small walled cities, and um, some people were in there, mostly the rebels, but other people had run away to other countries and were out in the countryside and they hadn't been gathered up. When they heard that Gedalia had been appointed, they rushed to Mizpah to work with him. So it shows how popular he was and also perhaps they had hopes. Some of them seemed to have had hopes of a new uprising, which is like, you know, kill me now. But that, that's what they did. But also the poor of the land went there. And there's, you know, lots more about that in this text as well. And um, the women, the children, and in Hebrew it says the tough, T-A-F. They're the people who, when you're travelling, you think about Eskimos, you know, how they travel and they either take or don't take the little old people. It's the little children who can't walk. It's the old people who can't walk. It would be the disabled people who can't walk. Maybe the pregnant ladies who had to be carried or dragged on the sled or, you know, over your shoulder, however you carry a nine-month pregnant lady when you've got to go somewhere. This is like so, so complete. Everybody came to Mizpah. Everybody that was left came to Mizpah. And down the bottom, um, it says the people came from the other lands in verses 11 and 12 as well. 
everyone, everyone came. Back to verse 9. And Gedaliah swore to them and their troops, saying, Don't be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon. Do you feel good about that? How do you feel about that being, if you've never read Jeremiah in your life, you're like, <gasps> what was that? But this is what um, Jeremiah has told the people back in um, the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. He said, this is God's will for you. Stay in the land, serve the king of Babylon. That's, that's the plan. I've appointed him to be like looking over the universe and that's what I want you to do. And they've been rebelling ever since for about you know, more than a decade. So Gedalia is repeating old prophecy that's from earlier in the book and about a decade before. He says, stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon and it shall go well with you. Now that sounds good to us, doesn't it? But it would sound especially good to Jewish people because this is a Deuteronomy comment that God always made. If you obey my commands, blah, 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 you'll stay in the land and it will go well with you. So here's the Deuteronomic promise, which is usually given to the people who've obeyed the covenant. Sometimes it's like do all the things and sometimes just one or two specific things they ought to do to stay in the land and it will go well with you. And this promise is being offered to these people who haven't done anything good. These are just the bad people who rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. God is offering this mercy even to them. What kind of God are we talking about here? And he says, as for me, I'm going to stay at Mizpah to represent you before the Chaldeans. But as for you, go out and get the wine and the summer fruits and the oil. It's like harvest time. They've had the war. Um, everything's out there to be eaten. And um, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't organised Nebuchadnezzar to bring in the troops to take everything away as tribute to Babylon, leaving everyone to starve. It's another like good guy act by the, the evil Babylonians. Um, Gedali says, just go out and, you know, have a, have a big summer party, basically, and put everything in the storehouses and you can live in the houses that are left. Now, when I first read this, I didn't feel very good because of squatting, you know, like there's the house, <laughs> some poor person's been carried off to Babylon, you go and snatch the house. But then I remember that these are tribal people and what they would have done is grandma's house is there and it's empty now or they probably were the grandmothers, you know, my son's house is now empty and I'll go and live there. So I don't think they were going around like, you know, scavengers, carpetbaggers, whatever. I think they were taking up the ancestral lands on behalf of their own people. Also, you know, just so we've got, you can stay in the land. There's all this food and drink. They're not starving. You know, God kept saying, you'll starve, you'll starve, which they did in the siege. But now this is a new season of mercy, another surprising See, uh, scene of mercy. Now, that was the good news. Sorry to say we're pretty much into bad news now. Um, so they all do this and it all goes really well. But then um, more problems arise. First, um, a warlord, uh, yeah, first a warlord plans to assassinate Gedalia. The plot is told to Gedalia but he doesn't believe it. Now, we're not sure if he's trusting in his popularity, he's so popular, who would kill me, I'm so great, or whether he was like too trusting and he thought, oh, he's my friend, you know, whatever. But he goes to a dinner and this guy kills him. So this is a good guy, but he gets killed. And the text does not say that he consulted the Lord about whether he should, you know, get a bodyguard or just trust the guy. So 
a probable inference is that he didn't ask God what to do. He just thought he'd be great and off he went. Made a fatal mistake, um, which led to himself being assassinated, which meant that then this other bad guy rises to power who kidnaps everybody and tries to take them away and kills lots of people, including Gedalia. But then another person arises and he catches them back. And so you think, oh, this is going to be good. But he, um, so they say to Jeremiah, well, what are we going to do now? Jeremiah goes and prays, he comes back and says, you should stay here. So we get an actual word from Jeremiah confirming what we've heard here. But they say, oh, no, you're a false prophet. We're not listening to you. And they determined to go down to um, Egypt where they've been told not to go. We see Yahweh trying everything here. In this last period of 40-something years, he's had a good king, Josiah, who also made a, a self-interested, silly decision that led to his three sons and grandson becoming kings. They were all young. I said last week, I think they were university students. And uh, when they came to power, each one, they were either wicked, like Jehoiakim, or weak, like Zedekiah that we heard about last week. Or then we have this good guy, Gedalia, who for some reason makes a really poor choice. Then we have someone who's really bad, Ishmael. Then we have someone who has the popular vote. He does like a democratic thing and they all choose the wrong thing. So you've got every kind of government, every kind of leader, um, all making bad choices of one kind or another and God just trying to fix it and give them another chance and an opportunity all through this period. But all, all, all um, make the wrong choice and they end up um, determinedly going down to Egypt where Nebuchadnezzar is on his way to stomp on Egypt. And God says, don't go there, um, partly because it's really dangerous in Egypt because that's the next, you know, like when you're running from a fire, you don't run towards the fire, you run the other way. So they're running towards the fire like, let's go to Egypt, it'll be good there. And he's like, don't go there, the fire's on its way. So um, again, another, another really tragic um, part of the story. So I think that this is one of the saddest endings in the Bible. We see all the people of Judah, in, includes royal princesses as well as all the people that I've described, who are brought together in one place to live with the summer fruits and to live in safety, but they just make one decision after another that leads them in the end to destruction. Mostly because they don't trust the Lord. Do you remember right at the beginning in chapter two, he says, why are you rejecting me, the fountain of living water, and drinking out of empty cracked cisterns, which in that context is mostly referring to other political um, securities as well as idols. But the, they're always, you know, getting some, they think, oh, we'll get this, you know, pragmatic help from somewhere else instead of trusting Yahweh. It's also one of the most beautiful endings because this is so dark, like this is really, really, really dark. But God is still at the last minute, you know, when they've had two sieges, they've had two exiles, they've actually had three exiles, they've had all these, lots of exiles anyway. And, you know, people are going off, they do bad, they go off, there's a few people left, he tries to work with them, someone get killed, he says, well, and he keeps trying and working with them, offering them a new opportunity, a new human security, not, not just forgiveness, but a human security. He's trying to keep them alive. He cares about their, you know, physical survival. But they keep turning him down. 
And we see here this interplay that we see all through the book of Jeremiah of God's chesed, his loving kindness, his tzedakah, his righteousness, and his mishpat, his justice. So he has to let them follow through their choices, but he's always kind of coming in with a new rescue plan. That is just um, an amazing um, nitty-gritty display. It's not just a sentence, I'm a lovely God who does good things, but we see it in play in all these circumstances over eight chapters of pain and, and distress. I've slightly deceived you because the book does end on a slightly happier note. If we go right to the end, there's a whole lot of destruction of, of enemies which um, comes between this and, the, and right at the end. In the right at the end in chapter 52, the very last scene is King Jehoiakim, who's the one king left standing from the Davidic family, who's taken away to um, Babylon and is uh, in captivity there. And right at the end of the story, he's allowed out after 37 years of captivity. Your beard would be long, wouldn't it, after 37 years? He went as an 18-year-old, and I can't do the maths, but you can. He was quite old by the time he got out. This is Jesus' ancestor. This is Jesus' ancestor who was preserved through all this, you know, destruction and stupidity. He is preserved and his line is recorded in the Bible that eventually Jesus comes from this line. So it is a dark book with many dark things. We see God's amazing kindness, even though the book, as far as Judah at that time concerned, ends badly. But there's this note of hope that Jehoiakim um, survives and that he will be the ancestor of Jesus, um, the living hope who is to come.